Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. As has been mentioned this morning, this is a little bit different service, and you've noticed, hopefully, the list of the officers in the worship folder this morning. You'll see them on a panel, all the current elders and deacons, and then our second service will be uh, installing, ordaining, and installing more. And as we get started this morning, I'm, I'm looking out and, and seeing a few. If you are an officer at Highlands, if you are an elder or a deacon, would you stand up just for a minute now? I see several of you. Go ahead, stand up. Everybody see you? Uh, there's a few of these guys. Make note of their names, who they are, and, uh, and you all can sit down and, and keep them in your prayers. Let's pray before we read. Lord, as we pause to reflect, to listen, to worship in anticipation of hearing from you, we do want to continue to have those wonderful words echoing in our minds and our hearts, great is thy faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to your church, to your people, to your kingdom, to us as individuals. And Lord, we pray that as we read this morning and as we continue to fellowship throughout the morning in our communities and as we ordain and install new officers to join the the current ones, Lord, we recognize right at the outset our, our desperate need of you. Please will you come by the power of your Spirit and speak to us. Teach us, draw near to us, conform us to the very image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to be able to come to your word and count on it. To know in the midst of the confusion in our culture that surrounds us, we know that this is the bread of life. We know that this is true. We know that it is solid ground. And we pray that it is as it is read and and preached, we recognize, again, right at the outset, it will be empty without you coming by the power of your Spirit and using your Word in our hearts to transform us. We pray that we would love your Word. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy chapter 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon But I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nation, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Amen. Have you ever heard anybody say, maybe you've said it yourself, I think I've probably said it myself too, hopefully I don't say it anymore, but have you ever heard anybody say, I love Jesus, and I know He loves me, and I love because He first loved me, but I don't like the church. The church is a messy business. I don't like the church because, fill in the blank, whatever, had a bad experience, don't like the fill in the blank, there's people there, I'm not a joiner, I'm tired on Sunday mornings. It's my only day off. Whatever. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I would humbly suggest that when you, me, anyone else says that, they don't understand the church, but more importantly, they don't understand Jesus. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, 25, Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Jesus Christ loved the church and gave everything for her. Not Jesus Christ kind of liked a building and sacrificed a few things. He gave his life for the church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, he goes on to say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And whoever trusts in me, whoever loves me, whoever places his or her faith in me will never die. but will have eternal life. And we are called to fix our eyes, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, and our longings, everything on Him. On Him. That's the Jesus way. That's the way of Jesus, you may be thinking, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great. I've heard that before, but I've got to get up and go to work tomorrow. And my job is hard. I've got to get up and go to school. I have a test tomorrow. I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I have a difficult relationship I have to face tomorrow. Whatever it is, we are called, if you're a believer here today, if you're a Christian here today, here's the the challenge. I don't know of any time in our history as a country that we have been more confused about the basics, right? What's a family? What's a marriage? What's the the meaning of life? How do I apply my faith to my vocation, my calling, my work? I I, I get, get all that. But here's the challenge. I know of no time in the history of our country that we need the church to be the church more than we do now. We need to understand what it is. We need to love it. We need to give our lives for it. We need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in loving His bride. His family, His household, us. And be, as as was mentioned and prayed for earlier in this service, a light and truth and an oasis of love and grace and mercy and acceptance. The world needs us. The world needs us. It needs the church to be the church. You remember when Paul calls us, all of us, ambassadors? 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 24, uh, 20, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. And then Paul says, We implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You be reconciled to God, but the ministry of your ambassadorship is reconciliation to God through Christ. You are, if you're a believer here today, you're called to be an ambassador to America. And yes, praise God, we have missionaries that have gone out from this church all over the world. And we pray for them and we support them. But every one of us here today is called to be an ambassador to our neighbor. To those at work. To our friends. To America. And all the time remembering that our first citizenship. You know, what do ambassadors do? They remember, they keep their citizenship in their original country. But they learn the culture. They learn the language. They go. But they don't forget, we don't forget that our first loyalty is to a king. Our first citizenship is in a kingdom. We belong to Jesus Christ. If you call yourself a Christian today, you realize you're identifying with Jesus Christ. Christian. You're identifying with the title Messiah. Anointed one, long expected one. I am in Him. I look to Him. He is my Lord. He is my King. I fix my eyes on Him. I even take upon myself a title that is His. Christian. And if the church is going to be the church for the world that so desperately needs it, the church has to have godly, passionate, committed, growing officers, elders, deacons. And we're blessed. We are very blessed. I've been in a number of ministries and a number of churches and a number of places. And and you are blessed. You may not even know how blessed you are with the officers that you have at Highlands. Please pray for them. You can see their names in the worship folder this morning. It's essential. Jonathan Edwards said many years ago, the greatest gift that God gives to his church other than himself, is godly officers. The greatest gift that God gives to his church, other than himself, is godly elders and deacons. And in the time that that we have this morning, I want us to see several things coming out of this particular passage, 1 Timothy 3, that we read just a moment ago. I want you to see what God wants from elders what God wants from deacons, and what God wants from all of us. It's all there. What God wants from elders, what God wants from deacons, and what God wants from all of us. What does God want from from elders in this passage? Now remember, the, the office 
And this is vital uh, to, to know it's, it's not something that's abstract for you, for a Christian. It right, is, should be right at the, the center of your prayer life, praying for officers, looking to officers, being ministered to by, by officers. Two different spiritual callings. The, it's not that, that elders are better than deacons. They're different callings, different gifts. Two different callings. And I want to get right to the heart. We could define elder in many ways, but right at the very heart. It doesn't encompass everything. But right at the very heart of what it is to be an elder is this. A desire to disciple. A desire to to disciple. Elders long to see people come to Christ and see people grow in Christ. And they are given the charge, the directive, the authority to do just that and to lead in that in their churches. They have a passion for discipleship. You remember the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And they do this in public ways. They do this in private ways. In public ways, they serve communion. They hand you the the body and blood of Christ once a month. Some of you, and I'm noticing actually a couple of you this morning, have benefited in another way, something that they do publicly. It's in a smaller setting, but healing services. If you were sick or ill and you've been anointed and you've had their hands on you and they have prayed for you, they, they do that also. They teach. Maybe it's one-on-one. Maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's in a Sunday school class from a lectern. But they, they teach. They desire to disciple in all these kinds of ways. These are public, but they also do it in private ways. And many of you know this also. These shepherds walk right into the wreckage of people's lives. And they do. They do it every week. Many of you don't see it, but they come alongside and they counsel and they encourage and they pray with and they confront. They love. And every week this goes on behind the scenes. It may be a a family situation or a work situation or a marriage situation or whatever it might be. But they do it in public ways and they do it in private ways. And you see these things and many of you have experienced this kind of ministry. Look at the passage. They do this through their example and they do it through their teaching. And boy, this is a little overwhelming, isn't it? Just reading it out loud as a pastor... I want to turn in my badge. How in the world? They do it by their example. Notice the emphasis in this passage on character. 
integrity, pursuit of holiness. It's a noble task. They should be above reproach. Good husbands and fathers, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. And then we get real practical. They shouldn't drink too much. They shouldn't be obsessed with money. They should not be recent converts. They should not be proud. And they should have good reputations in the community. Example. And teaching. Paul says they should be able to teach. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean up front with lots of people. Some elders that I have known, I have known elders through the years who get up in front of people and it just doesn't work. But boy, one-on-one, they're a heck of a lot better than I am. And it's I've sat and listened to elders talk to people and think, wow, that's amazing how insightful and wise you are. I would have never thought of that. That's teaching. One-on-one in small groups and larger settings. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, as they desire to disciple, they desire to equip the saints, equip the church for the work of ministry. They are examples. They teach. Um, there's a very specific example of, of this, and I'll just touch on it briefly in, in 1 Peter. If you know what's going on behind the scenes in 1 Peter, 1 Peter's a little bitty letter written to suffering first century Christians who are surrounded by a hostile pagan culture that is undercutting them from every direction, and they're suffering. Some of them are losing all of their money. They're losing their homes. Some are losing their lives. And Peter begins the letter of First Peter by reminding them, you know what you are, Christian? You are born again to a living hope. Kept in heaven for you. You have an eternal inheritance. Jesus is coming back in glory. Of all people, no matter what the circumstance, you should be incredibly hopeful. And then he gets to this famous passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Many of you know it. He says this, beginning in verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, the hope that you have. And do it with gentleness and respect. What is going on here? This is, this is what elders do. First, sanctify Christ as the Lord in your heart. Elders want you to be worshipers of Jesus. They want you to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. They want you to be worshipers. Secondly, they want you to be prepared to make a defense or give an answer. They want you to be students of Jesus Christ. But thirdly, they want you to do it with gentleness and respect. It's right there. They want you to worship Christ, study Christ, and be like Christ. They desire to disciple. You know, earlier in the, the service, there's a, a stanza or a verse in, 
in I love thy kingdom, Lord, that gets right. If, if you're an elder or you aspire to be elder or you want to pray for an elder, this is the heart of it. For her, the church, my, te- my tears shall fall. For her, my prayers ascend. To her, my cares and toils be given till toils and cares shall end. That's what elders do. Deacons. Right at the heart of what deacons do. If elders desire to disciple, they want to see people come to Christ and grow. Deacons seek to serve. Deacons are looking for ways to serve. Ways to give. And they do this in, in public ways, in private ways, just like elders do. They, they manage the, the building, the lights, they come early on Sunday mornings and make sure things are set up and ready to go and the coffee's made. They sit on buildings and grounds committees. They make coffee. They do what, what, makes, what all, keeps all this running? Deacons. All this stuff we see and experience and benefit from. But you know they do it in private ways too when somebody comes and says, I can't pay my rent. They do benevolence and mercy ministry all the time, every week, behind the scenes. That you don't see. You know, the word deacon, diakonos, means servant. But it comes from an original word that goes way, way back that means servant in the courts of a king. What it means is they have access. It's, a, it's pointing to the fact that they have access to the king. They serve the king. They follow him around and do what he wants them to do. Is the picture of what a deacon is. And of course, the most wonderful example in the Bible, I think, of what deacons do is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Stephen Remember the story of Stephen in Acts uh, 6 through 8? The the church is growing. The apostles, disciples are ministering and, and teaching. It's getting overwhelming. And there's some widows, some hurting people that are being overlooked, that are not being served, that are going hungry. In the new church with all these people coming in. And we, we, it's, it's overwhelming. So the office of, of deacon is created. And Stephen is one of the first deacons. A man of great integrity. A man of great character. And if you'll, you'll, you remember his speech. Boy, he knows his Bible. He knows the history of his people. And what God has done down through time... And he's very much described in what our book of church order says. It is the duty of the deacons to minister to those who are in need, to the sick, to the friendless, and to any who may be in distress. That's what Stephen's doing. Along with a number of other men as the church continues to grow. But you remember what happens to Stephen. Stephen becomes not only one of the first deacons, but the first Christian martyr. 
he gets caught up in a wave of, of persecution. Where people are being dragged out in the streets and stoned to death. And Stephen gets caught up into this. And there's a guy named Saul. <laughs> who will later become Paul. Who will later write this chapter. Who's saying he should and needs to die. And this young Saul is witnessing against Stephen and what Stephen is doing and supports his stoning to death and is a witness against him. And he's watching all of this. And you remember what Stephen says in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of Saul encouraging it? He says, as he dies, this is a deacon Lord, do not hold this sin against them. You know, when uh, Stephen is mentioned last in the Bible, in Acts 22, Paul is giving his testimony. He's giving the high points of his testimony of coming to Christ and his calling to preach the gospel. And he says, and when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching. The life, I love it, the life of a deacon radically impacts the life of an apostle. Some say Paul wouldn't have been Paul without Stephen, we wouldn't be who we are without deacons. Ministry couldn't go on without deacons. And all the service that they give to us, Paul is passionate about deacons. Well, finally, what about all of us? Does God want from... Elders desire to disciple. Deacons seek to serve. What does he want from all of us? The very end of this chapter, I don't know if you noticed in your Bibles or on your screen, whatever you're looking at, you notice how the text format changes? The text format changes in verse 16. That most scholars believe, and this is, this is big, and I don't think I even realized this until recently. At the end of this chapter, where Paul is emphasizing the importance of the bride of Christ, the church, the household of God, the family of God, here are the leaders, here are the elders, here are the deacons, he ends with a hymn. Most scholars, commentators say this is a, a hymn. It's as though Paul is saying, now let's worship. Let's sing. Let's praise. The household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Let's sing. 
love it. He's calling all of us together, the church, to remember what we're all about, worship. To remember why he's been talking about all these things and all these roles and all these characteristics. Worship. There is no perfect elder. There is no perfect deacon. There is no perfect pastor except one. There's one perfect elder. There's one perfect deacon. There's one perfect shepherd. There's one perfect pastor. It's Jesus. Let's sing. Let's sing to his praise. I'll I'll close with this. Years ago, many years ago, many, many years ago, it seems now, when I was in my early 20s, I worked at a Christian conference center in Texas. And um, I, I told my mother, was, you know, I was a very difficult kid, and I won't go into all that. And she said, will you please go to this Christian conference center? I said, I'll go for a week. I'll be home after one week. I stayed there on and off for 20 years. It changed my life. But when I first got there in my early 20s, we did all kinds of different conferences had all kinds of different speakers. We had a special conference one time for a long weekend for prisoners. They were letting them out of jail for the weekend to come to our conference center. Yes, we were nervous. But supposedly they'd been on their best behavior. They'd made progress. Many of them confessed a faith in Jesus Christ. And so they were able to to get out of prison for a long weekend and come to Pine Cove and be with their families and be with other folks from the community and, and hear good teaching and have good fellowship. And the speaker that, that came to speak that weekend, some of you will remember him, his name was Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson died a few years ago, I think it was 2006, and he was Nixon's hatchet man. Um, He was a pretty terrible guy. He was convicted through all of the Watergate scandals. He was convicted of obstruction of justice. He went to a federal prison and, and on and on. And in the middle of all of this, he was converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And I found myself, here I am, I'm 21, I found myself one evening walking into a big room and the snack table, I worked there, there was a snack table laid out, and I found myself in this big room with just Chuck Colson and me. And I was kind of in awe. I was standing with Chuck Colson right in front of the cookies. And you know what I said to him? I have no idea. I can't remember. I I was just so, I said something. And what, you know what he said to me? I have no idea. I can't remember. I was so in awe of what the Lord had done through this famous man. But I will and do, and will always remember what he said at the opening of the first session that night. 
He said, I want to welcome all of you. And this is prisoners, their families, people from the community, staff. It was packed. I want to welcome all of you who have been convicted and who are guilty and who have done time and the rest of you who haven't been caught yet. And he said, folks, we're all guilty. We are all guilty. We are all guilty sinners and we all need Jesus. And he would just thrive on this message and interacting with all these people. But he went on to say this, and I I wrote it down. I've kept it. He said, hardly a day goes by that I don't thank the Lord for all of the hard things that he brought into my life. Because they brought me to the point of realizing that apart from the cross, I would still be suffering and dying in the stench of my own sin. Apart from the cross. And Paul, let's not forget, Paul is telling us at the end of this chapter, Jesus Christ gave his life for the church. Let's come together as as messy as we are, as fallen as we are. We have not arrived, but as we walk down this road together, let's remember Paul is telling us to worship the King in the church and with the church and with elders and with deacons and with everybody. Jesus Christ rescues us from ourselves. He rescues us from our sins. And He is in glory. And so will we be one day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this day in which we pause to recognize Your calling upon elders. Your calling upon deacons and your calling upon all of us. We pray that we would glory along with Jesus in worshiping Him as He lives in our hearts and lives and works in and through us by the power of the Spirit. We pray that our whole lives would be lives of worship. Our whole lives would be lives of fixing our eyes and dreams and hopes and longings and desires upon Him. We pray that we would pray for these men who are being ordained this day. We pray that we would love the church as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. We pray all of these things in the name of Him who came such a great distance for us, Jesus Christ. Amen.